Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Islanders. We are two days away from the opening of UBS Arena when the Islanders play the Flames on Saturday night. And to celebrate, we are here with Newsday columnist Neil Best. Neil, thank you for joining us today. Good to be back. It's been uh, it's been a few years, so I'm glad to see you're still at it. <laughs> yes, a half decade it has been. So we switched from radio to podcast, just like the Islanders have switched from Nassau Coliseum to UBS Arena with Barclays Center in the middle, of course. But it's great to speak with you again. I really appreciate it. And all the work you've been doing has been amazing. Thank you. We're uh, we're trying. <laughs> yes, and you're trying very well. And one thing that I thought is very interesting is the way Newsday is covering UBS Arena. Newsday is Long Island, and UBS Arena is Long Island, too. The building opened Saturday, as I said, and this building seems to mean a lot to the Islanders, but not just the Islanders, Long Island. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, look, this is uh, this has been decades in the making, obviously. And it's, um, yeah, it's a big moment for Long Island, um, yeah, the community, for the sports community, just to have this arena, state-of-the-art. You know, because remember, obviously, it's not just the Islanders. It's going to be concerts and other events also. So, you know, even though it's not as much in the middle of Long Island as it used to be, or as much in the middle of Long Island as Newsdays, even more so on the Nassau-Suffolk border, you know, it is on Long Island. It is not in Brooklyn. It is not in Manhattan. So um, I do think it makes sense for Long Islanders to claim it as an important, uh, you know, piece of Long Island, even though, because obviously, because of the proximity to the city, it just expands the audience that much more for people to come from Manhattan or, you know, anywhere in the five boroughs. Uh, it's much more manageable than the Coliseum was. And Neil, you mentioned that you have been on Long Island for 50 years as of next year, and the Nassau Coliseum has been around on Long Island too. So why does this feel like such a special, long-time-coming moment for Islanders fans to finally have their own arena that's state-of-the-art? Well, that's the the, the long-time-coming is the part is, is a big part of it. You know, these other uh, fans of other franchises, look, this, this new... There was a long, long period where there were no new stadiums or arenas in New York. And, and that ended with, in 2007 with the Prudential Center. Yep. And this is kind of the last, this is kind of the end of that, you know, what, 14 year road here where now everybody's got a new arena. Um, and Islanders fans had to wait the longest for many, many reasons. Um, and now that we are, uh, we've at this, at this moment, it, it means a lot. You know, like I said, when the Prudential Center opened in 07, it was it shocked a lot of New York sports fans how nice it was. When the reality was, it looked like most other modern arenas. It was just that we were so behind the curve in New York that it seemed like, oh my God, this place is a palace. Uh, well, in the in the 14 years since, things have evolved even further. I I, I was on a tour on Wednesday at that place, and I told Tim Lewecki, the head of the development company, you know. It's interesting to me how these concourses in these modern stadiums and arenas, they they just continue to grow. Like the, the width of some of these concourses, it's like you could build, you know, a family of four could live in them. Um, <laughs> it's just amazing to see the openness of that place. And, you know, so that's one of the nice things about it. It's just you see that more in football and baseball stadiums, like sort of the, um, the feeling like you can look out a window and you're part of the area. You know, arenas tend to be more enclosed because, you know, they're for winter sports and they're smaller and they just feel more claustrophobic. Uh, certainly Barclays and the Garden have, even though they're 
the garden's much better than it used to be. Uh, they have some of that going. The, 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 the uh, UBS Center really, when you walk around, it almost feels more like a football stadium, only in the sense of how open it is to the outside. And that is quite the difference from Nassau Coliseum, which felt like a high school hallway. And in terms of bathrooms, I know that UBS Arena has triple, quadruple, if not more <laughs> bathrooms, too. Yeah, I said to Tim, you know, you realize the, the number one thing I understand they're talking about is ability to go to the bathroom between periods. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, we have the highest ratio of, you know, toilets to fans in the world or whatever he said. But the uh, bottom line is that, yes, it, it should be better. It better be better. However, there is some controversy. And on your Twitter account yesterday, you posted a very interesting photo <laughs> of a sign that said no tailgating. No honking per New York State regulations. So is that rule really going to be followed? And is it really going to be enforced? You know, I used to say the job I would like like least in the world is cleaning the bathrooms of Penn Station. But I think this may have surpassed that as the <laughs> job that I would least want to have in the world. First of all, I had never I was not aware of this before I just saw this sign in the parking lot on Wednesday. And I apparent, but apparently this is a thing. And I, some people thought it was because of scaring the horses. I believe it is more because of the community, community being sensitive to the noise. Now, you know, the honking is, <laughs> I don't know how you regulate honking. The, the tailgating <laughs> is more interesting to me because I, I think what's going to happen is that certainly they're not going, going to uh, stop people from, you know, a, a group of four friends standing by their trunk you know, having a sandwich before a game. What they want to avoid is what I saw. I, I have a bunch of Bills fan friends, and I was in the parking lot at MetLife Stadium for a long time last weekend. And, you know, what they want to avoid is these massive, loud, elaborate parties that take up multiple parking spaces and, you know, are, are the kind of thing that would annoy a neighbor. So I, I think what will happen, or I believe what should happen, is they should cut people a lot of slack for small, modest, quiet, just gatherings of friends. But I think they have a right to stop, you know, huge parties, which work better in a football stadium than in a hockey parking lot. Um, so I, 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 but you know, it's all TBD. I, I mean, we're going to see because Islanders fans took that sign as a challenge. So we'll <laughs> see. We'll see what actually happens. It would not surprise me if someone rips that sign out and takes it home for their man well, cave. More, that's how of, passionate. I know well, that, that's definitely illegal. But there's, <laughs> there's more than one of them. So I, I'm, uh, you know, I'd like to think that fans will uh, sort of be responsible and yet have a good time at the same time. But, you know, let's see if that actually can, can happen. I think what fans don't realize is that when they were at the Nassau Coliseum, there was a hotel, there was a cancer center, there was some shops and stores and restaurants right across the street and then i'm in one of the closest houses right nearby and that's about a five minute walk it seems like with this new arena one of the parking lots it's adjacent to a community so litter and honking at 10 30 that parade of honks that could wake up small children so it seems like this might actually be a bigger issue than it was at the coliseum yeah, no, there's no question. There's going to be issues along those lines. And I don't, there's no easy answer to this because it's very, you know, enforcing this at some point would become absurd, especially the honking. I, I don't know how you're supposed to stop that. Um, so we'll see. Again, uh, 
you know, maybe the Hawkins reserved for playoff wins or something. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be easy. And the people in the community, you know, it's a thing. Look, I mean, every stadium that's in a community, Lambeau Field, Wrigley Field, you know, it, it's, yeah, it, it, it tends to raise property values only because you get interesting bars and restaurants and people and activity. But, you know, there's no question that it's, I mean, that's why there weren't lights at Wrigley Field for my entire childhood. The people in the neighborhood didn't want it. I wonder who's enforcing it. As you said, someone has to. You don't want that job. Is it police or is it UBS Arena Security? It's hard to I mean, it's hard for me to believe the cops are going to want to deal with this. And I wouldn't blame them for not wanting to deal with this. Um, So I don't know. I mean, at at MetLife, they have these like monitors that politely ask people not to take up five parking spots when they're tailgating. But that is a very difficult job. The the only way to avoid the multiple parking spots thing is to do Disney style parking, where you literally have someone guiding people yes. spot as they come in. But people don't like that because now there's no favorite spots at this arena yet because it just opened. But at MetLife, you know, people have uh, or at the baseball stadiums, people have places that they traditionally meet and they don't want to be told where to go. It's it's very. I'm telling you. I, Walking through that parking lot Sunday, it was, it's a little scary sometimes, you know, because people have been drinking and it's just, it's chaotic is the word for it. I mean, it's people are having a good time. Most people are behaved, but it's just chaotic. And that's what, that's what they're worried about. And they certainly have reasons to be worried. But one thing Islanders fans don't have to be worried about is that UBS Arena will be beautiful. And you took a lot of pictures and posted them on your Twitter, which Islanders fans really appreciate. And one thing that I want to talk about is that entranceway. Were they going for Grand Central Station? Were they going for LaGuardia Airport? It seems like a very New York piece of architecture. Yes, they were They were explicitly going for Grand Central Station slash other you know dramatic entry points. That's what Scott Malk and the co-owner wanted. Tim Laiwecki was talking about how expensive it was, just the, <laughs> the inlaid floor there. And yeah, that entryway is very dramatic. Um, as the first time I saw it was yesterday. I didn't see it the previous week. And it's, you know, it's huge. I mean, it reminded me just slightly only because it was the first, when, when Yankee Stadium opened with that, whatever they call that big open concourse yeah. thing you have, you know, that was the first, you know, I remember thinking, wow, this is a just huge space that you don't normally see in stadiums. Well, now here's an indoor arena with an entryway that seems like you're walking into a, yeah, to something larger. I don't know. I guess a football stadium, just because it's enormous. Hmm. Um, but the, the, you know, Tim was explaining how they had much more freedom than the Garden, than the Prudential Center, than Barclays, because there there was no train station like hemming them in, and they just had more acreage to build the stadium the right way and give uh, fans more options for getting upstairs where the garden you're it's just everything is understandably is very constricted so uh, yes they were looking for grand central absolutely and um they have all kinds of touches and yeah kind of cool you know murals on the wall and tim was pointing out these cross beams that serve no structural purpose but are just architectural touches and uh look i mean Aside from the fact it's going to be, you know, logistical chaos the first day, just because they're that's the way that, you know, it's new for everyone. People should also get there super, super early just to like walk around the place, obviously, and soak all this in on their first visits, whether it be Saturday or, you know, some future home game. It seems like a lot of fans are going to do that because 
It almost feels like a museum. I've seen in some of your pictures and on the Islanders' Twitter that the wall art seems very beautiful, and it seems like they made a touch to honor fans. So what was some of your favorite wall art that you saw in the building? Well, there's a cool, I forget, you know, these locations are all just a blur to me because I don't know, you know, I don't have my bearings in the place either, but, you know, there was that big picture of Billy Smith and that was in a cool spot. There's an Islanders Hall of Fame that's accessible to everyone. There's, um, you know, but even just like in the, in the food, just in a, in a generic place, like a food stand kind of, they call it the market, whatever. But, you know, there's all this sort of New York specific artwork with like the Empire State Building and just all kinds of landmarks. Um, so the, the one thing that's a challenge, frankly, when I'm walking around and taking these pictures is keeping straight you know, what is or is not accessible to everyone. Now, there's obviously some areas accessible to everyone, a lot of areas accessible to everyone. Then there's these clubs that are, you know, tied to specific tickets. And then, you know, some of the pictures, I I didn't have time to label all these pictures, to be honest with you, and say what they all were. Some of them were literally the dressing rooms and the green rooms of for the concerts. So like Harry Styles is allowed to go in a couple of those rooms I took pictures of, but obviously not everybody else. So there's, but there's a lot of different elements of it. But, but that being said, there's, there's no shortage of places for the person with the cheapest ticket in the building to just kind of walk around and, you know, absorb things. Now the downside of that, of course, is that like all modern arenas, it's designed to get you out of your seat to go spend money and, you know, stuff. So there's incentives to get out of your seat in a way Nassau Coliseum did not have. Uh, but that's the way of the world. I mean, that you know, all these stadiums are designed for you not to actually sit there and watch the game. They want you to walk around and spend money. That's where the money is. And the money at UBS Arena, one of the spots is certainly the team's store. And one of the photos that I saw that you posted, it almost felt like a cabin, almost felt like a ski shop. It looked very... Very nice. So what did you think about the team store at UBS Arena? Yeah, it was interesting. Of all the gushing Tim Laiwecki did, I mean, he's biased because he built the place. The the gushing, the most gushiest quote, which I used, was when he left the team store about, oh, my God, Islanders fans are going to look at this and say, this can't be for us. Because it's, yes, it's a very, um, yeah, it's cool. It's the yeah dark wood look, and it looks like almost like, a you know, I don't know, one of those stores you see at Disney World or something. But um, there's tons of, and I took a picture of this weird bin full of vintage hockey gloves, which I assume are for display and not selling. It was kind of weird. <laughs> My daughter's in the market for hockey gloves. So I took her a picture of it for her. And um, I mean, to actually play with, not to, <laughs> not for a souvenir. Um, but uh, yes, the team store, it looks very cool. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things where, like Tim said, it's like it's not that it's unusual to have a nice team store in an arena. It's just that it's the kind of thing the Islanders have not had. And the Islanders now have a building with some views. There is the racetrack. There are some beautiful areas nearby. There's plans, as Jim Bomback told me yesterday. They're just plans at this point. No development has been made yet, but for a hotel and for a shopping center. So they're trying to make this a big area. So when you're looking outside the window at UBS Arena from various spots, what are some of the views? Is it the racetrack? Is it trees? What's around the building? 
I mean, it's all of the above. First of all, it doesn't even have to be looking out a window. There's outdoor patios where you can look at some of these views. So on nice days, like they have a huge outdoor patio that's going to be open all year round. Wow. I don't know how that's going to work in January, but yeah, you have from both sides. Again, I don't have all my bearings yet, so I don't know where I am half the time, but there are outdoor patios with bars on them that look out onto, you know, various sides of Belmont Park. So um, yes, there is something to look at that's more interesting than a parking lot, which is the key. I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, in, in the garden, you obviously have Manhattan to look out. Here, there's definitely, you know, cool just vibe by looking over Belmont. I asked him if they could have a outdoor game at Belmont with 100,000 people someday. That would, yeah, at the actual Belmont track. That would be kind of cool. But that's not in the current plans. <laughs> so... Well, here's what is in the plans. The Islanders had their first practice this morning at UBS Arena. What was that like for the players? I did. I was not there. Andrew was. I did see. I did listen to Matthew Barzell and uh, Anders Lee's uh, press conferences after you know Zooms afterward. There was no in-person talk uh, after the first one, but they're they're excited. I mean, these guys have been hearing about this as long as we have, and in some cases making career decisions based on the expectation that this thing will be there. And um, they're excited. I mean, a lot of journalists have gotten tours of this thing. These guys, it was the first time they ever set foot in it after hearing all this stuff about it. And they were very excited. Anders talked about how disappointing it is that Josh Bailey's in a hotel room in Florida being Mm -hmm. quarantined, the longest standing Islander not getting to be there for, it looks like he won't be there by Saturday. That's really unfortunate. Right, you know, and the team struggling. You know, it's it's a weird situation. Obviously, Islanders fans are frustrated with what the team's been doing, but you have to kind of look past that to the bigger picture at this particular moment. I mean, if they lose a couple, of, they lose their first two games at the new arena, then people can go back to worrying about the team. But um, yes, the players are excited because for the same reasons everybody else is. Everything is nice and state of the art, and they got a nice locker room, and it just seems cool just just like for the fans uh so they're happy i thought what was very funny was that picture of andrew in a hard hat and a vest and the players practicing as construction workers were probably taking their 15 to watch the morning skate as they're cramming to get the arena done by saturday that feels very islanders to me that was a really funny image of andrew you know it was amazing i was there thursday and then wednesday and people who are not from the construction business like me yeah, I've been in enough of these situations where it always looks impossible that it's going to be finished. <laughs> but somehow they have, they know how to do it. It's not going to be easy. The hardest thing for them as of Wednesday was not so much finishing things as getting all the stuff out of the bill, all the mm. equipment and garbage. Just they had a, yeah, there was this like, this, this, this incredibly long line of workers waiting just for the freight elevator waiting their turn to get their stuff out of the building. That that was the biggest challenge that I saw on Wednesday. But, you know, I don't know. I, there's a, there's an event Friday night, a sort of, sort of a charity slash VIP slash construction worker concert party with 5,000 people. So that's going to be a test run. And then Saturday will be the real deal. And Saturday will be a big test for the Islanders about how their home ice advantage will be. This is very unique because Barry Trotz has been on the record saying they have home ice advantage, but 
their first time stepping foot on the ice this Thursday. So the Flames will be playing in the same amount of games at UBS Arena as the Islanders on Saturday. So how do you feel that UBS Arena's home ice advantage will be different than Nassau Coliseum's home ice advantage for the Islanders? I mean, you know, look, it's all TBD. You know, in hockey, first of all, hockey is not the same as basketball when it comes to home ice advantage anyway. I mean, in the playoffs lately, it's been almost a neutral around the league. So I don't know. I mean, that's to be determined. I, I think that the real advantage in the short term, because, yeah, obviously they're not any more familiar with the building than the opposing teams are, but you, you have to think it's going to benefit them physically and psychologically just for that road trip to be over um, because that was such a weird situation. So that, that to me is their bigger advantage for the next month than, you know, quote unquote home ice advantage. I think it's more like, home bed advantage just to finally have a little stability. And you have to think so many of these players, the Islanders are a very veteran team. A lot of them have families. A lot of them have kids. So I think that they're going to be very happy just not to be away from their kids and their families for this extended period of time. Well, that's true, except that Barry pointed out that when you have young kids, that being home is not a rest. It's, you know, the the single guys are resting when they're home uh, unless they're going out. But the guys with the young kids, it's like, yeah, you're home, but you're not resting. That's true. They're with the young kids. That makes sense. They're on a different sleeping schedule for sure. So speaking of the Islanders, they have struggled. They are five, six, and two. They aren't playing their best hockey ever. Are you concerned about their long-term prospects this season? Or do you think this was just a product of a tough road trip? Well, I mean, I think that it's hard to believe they'll be this bad for an entire season just because they have too many things going for them. <clears throat> you know, however, I do think it's legitimate to worry about um, their their ceiling. I mean, because their problem is the same as it's been for several years now, which is they're a nice, well-balanced, great defensive team with good goalies, but they do not have that, you know – scary scorer their best their best player is a playmaker um they don't have you know i mean i don't want to say artemi panarin because people will get mad since he's a ranger so i'll say and you know there's only one connor mcdavid but you know my point they don't have the scare they don't have alex ovechkin they, they don't have snipers they just have a bunch of good players who score occasionally and and that's fine but sometimes, and especially in the playoffs, it's like sometimes you lose one nothing in Game Seven because of that. So that that's the concern. I, will they if they don't make the playoffs, which is possible? Then I, yes, I would be shocked by that. The media has had an interesting role the last few games because Barry Trotz has been very critical of perhaps their best sniper, Oliver Wallstrom, and this has confused fans a lot. But when asked about it, Barry Trotz is saying that he needs more from Wallstrom. So do you think Wallstrom can be that sniper the Islanders need, or does he just seem to be in Barry Trotz's bad grace right now? Yeah, I mean, well, not just right now. He seemed to be during the playoffs last year when I wanted, well, me and a lot of other people wanted to see Wallstrom over Uncle Leo. <laughs> um, so there's something about Wallstrom that bothers Barry Trotz, and he knows much more about hockey than I do. So, yeah, there's there seems to be an issue there. I don't know what it is. Wallstrom's young enough to work through it. Um, so it doesn't mean he's a lost cause, but there's clearly some kind of issues there. Um, you know, but speaking of, since I'm also a media writer, you know, I've been doing this uh, a long, long time. <laughs> and ba- Barry's as good as it gets. For yes. the media. You know, particularly 
it's been extra important in the COVID era because mm-hmm. we have so little access. It's so frustrating uh, doing these Zooms and or the limited, you know, in-person thing in the interview room. Um, but Barry just can't, he, I mean, he saves us. He just carries us. You ask him a question about anything, you get a 10 minute answer of that's interesting. <laughs> so thank God for Barry. And then he's also honest enough to criticize players, which is yes. also great, great for reporters. Um, so I can't, he's, he's been, he's just, obviously he's a good coach. He's won a lot of games. I know that's his actual job, but for me, selfishly, <laughs> he's been fantastic to deal with as a reporter. I thought when Andrew asked a few days ago, is he telling the media similar things that he's telling the players? And when Trotz was just so brutally honest about how he sympathizes and knows the job that journalists need to do, that was a really nice answer because a lot of coaches right now seem to have a us versus them mentality, but Barry Trotz knows what the media needs, knows how to give a good quote, and he's so honest. And I know that you and everyone else appreciates that. And the number one, the number one thing I tell players and coaches about the mistake people make with the media, especially New York media, is being scared of it or overthinking it. Or, you know, he just doesn't, you know, just answer honestly. Don't say something stupid that's going to get yourself in trouble and then go on with your day. And it's not that hard. It's really... It doesn't seem that hard to me. And people like Barry make it look easy. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it is hard. It is very hard for a lot of people. So you just mentioned you do cover broadcasters in the media at Newsday as well. So let's talk about now transitioning to one of the best names out there. That is Brendan Burke. So how lucky are Islanders fans to listen to him every night? Well, they're, they're lucky. I mean, it's interesting to me that from day one, I know Islanders fans had some issues with Howie only because of his suspected Rangers loyalties, even though Howie's a great broadcaster. Uh, but but still, the fact that Brendan was embraced immediately, like from day one, oh, we like this guy, we like this guy, is interesting to me. And, um, and it's deserved. I mean, obviously not on a national level, NBC liked him and now TNT likes him. And he's, I mean, he's the guy is... You know, he's 30, however old he is now, 37 or whatever he is. He And he's the number two guy at TNT. And um, he had a chance to go to Chicago in the offseason and did not because he feels the Islanders are his where he belongs. And, um, yeah, I mean, when yes, Islanders fans are very fortunate to have this guy. And uh, he seems here for the long haul, even though he certainly has national ambitions. He already has a national gig, but I think he has even further ambitions. Um, but I don't think he'll leave. He could be a guy like, you know, Mike Breen or any number of these other New York guys who do national stuff, but stay with their local team also. Um, so yeah, he's really, he's really good. I mean, he's, I don't know how well known he is nationally, even though he does national games, but obviously Islanders fans know how good he is. Not just is he a good broadcaster, I have heard countless stories about Brendan Burke simply being a good person, and that's very important as a journalist when they're working with sources. When you guys have conversations, just how nice of a guy is he? No, he seems like a great guy. I mean, I don't, yeah, he's been great for me to deal with because, yeah, I've had this weird dual dual role as sometimes I'm there just as another Islanders writer hanging out with him. We were at the gate in uh, Winnipeg going to Minneapolis a couple weeks ago, and I was hanging out with him. Uh, but also, yeah, in theory, well, not in theory. In fact, he's a guy I cover and part of one of my other hats. So it is a little strange, but yes, he's been great to deal with. And, um, yeah, so is Butchie for that matter. Um, so 
yeah, he's he's. Uh, we I was we were talking about this the other day about his national profile. I I, I told him you're the Brian Anderson of hockey. Like Brian Anderson, very solid national guy who happens to do Brewers games, uh, but a lot of people, you know, pers- he has a bland name, so people forget about him sometimes. But uh, I, I I think of Brian Anderson. I think of Brendan just in terms of his national profile. Just rock solid guy who is not a household name for fans around the country, but, you know, should be, I guess. And his father, Don Burke, was one of my editors at the New York Post. (laughs) And I talked to Don about what made Brendan want to go into broadcast. And Don was like, well, he's making more money. So it's really funny that he comes from a family of broadcasters, writers, and he's doing so, so well. He's one of the best. And I think, as you said, I've heard a lot of the next Doc Emmerich. I've heard that word thrown around with him. And I don't know if he's that, but I think he has national ambitions and he's one of the best broadcasters in the world. One thing I found interesting when I first did a little profile on him when he got the job is that I said, well, well, yeah, what team did you root for growing up? You know, you grew up in New Jersey. So are you Rangers, Islanders, Devils? He's like, no, I I grew up as a son of a sports writer. I kind of grew up with the not rooting for anybody mentality. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I didn't really have any particular team. I just like the sport. I'm like, okay, that's a that's a real sports writer <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah, that's what they teach you. You can't be a fan, but so many sports journalists start as a fan and then work. Well, yeah, that's well, yeah, of course. Realistically, you would think that. Yeah, I mean, I I'm too old to be a fan of any of these teams, but yeah, of course, when I was a kid, I was, and uh, to hear Brendan say, nah, I was like, even as a kid, you weren't <laughs> Rangers, anything. No, not really. I'm like, okay. Wow. And speaking of television, we saw on Twitter that you were writing about streaming. And the Islanders had a game on ESPN Plus and Hulu against the Panthers on Tuesday night. What are your thoughts on the future of streaming? All I can say is I am old enough to remember when people yep. were shocked when broad- games went from Channel 9 and Channel 11 to these you know cable channels, which nobody had heard of. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I knew, obviously I knew people were going to be frustrated when that game came along, uh, understandably. Um, but it's, that's why ESPN did this deal with the NHL to boost ESPN plus. Mm. And it was another step in the evolution to streaming. And to answer your question, I, I mean, the, 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 the traditional cable model is not going to go away immediately because there's still too much money in it. But eventually it has to evolve into that, and it will. The question is, how exactly is it going to work? And, you know, what's the transition period going to be like? Uh, and I don't know the answers to any of that. But in the short term, this is going to be painful because there's six Islanders games, three Rangers games, and eight Devils games mm. that are ESPN Plus exclusives. And, you know, I mean, obviously people can choose to subscribe to ESPN Plus, and that's what, <laughs> that's what ESPN wants. But for those who don't, you know, you're going to listen to Kinger and Picker and that's it. You wrote on Twitter, as you said, that I'm old enough to remember a similarly jarring transition from games on free over the air TV to cable TV back in the day. The word is jarring. It seems like people are very shaken up over this. Devils fans, 10% of their games yeah. on ESPN Plus. That is definitely a jarring thing to do. Well, it is jarring. And, and But, you know, it is what it is. It's like I said, I mean, yeah, when I was a kid, not just sports, but TV in general, it was free and then all of a sudden, in you know, whatever, early to mid 80s, 
people were like, oh, no, no, you have to pay for this. <laughs> and it was at first that was shocking. And then people obviously got used to it. And that became the norm. From your point of view, what have been your thoughts on ESPN and TNT and their job so far with the NHL? I think they're solid. You know, one of the one of the reasons I wasn't too worried about it is because the hockey the hockey broadcast world is 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 much smaller than the other sports. So I knew a lot of the same people would be going from NBC to those other two entities, which is what's happened. So it wasn't like you know when you're hearing now. Granted, Sean McDonough is not a voice we've heard on hockey lately, but. You know, when you're hearing guys like Brendan and Steve Levy and, you know, and, or Liam McHugh is hosting the studio, I mean, Eddie Olchick's doing it, you know, Boucher, these are people everyone heard on NBC. So to me, it's not that shocking of a transition. It's like, yeah, they know what they're doing and it's fine. I, I do think, I do think something was lost with NBC's ownership of that sport because it was their baby and it was not shared with anybody and they took it very seriously and now I'm not saying ESPN doesn't do a good job, but obviously it's part of a much larger stable. So it's just a different, you know, it's just different. NBC really owned that sport and treated it that way. They certainly have. And I think another jarring transition that we're experiencing is the COVID-19 pandemic. People are really shocked by the effect it's had, not just on our lives, but on our sports. And you've covered a few fun columns where you wrote about this and how important sports are to society. You wrote, we have hit the wall here, sports fans, and you've covered soccer and other events that have really shown the transition to sports coming back during that tough March, April, May, and June of 2020. So personally, how have you been doing with sports going away and coming back in your role as a journalist during the pandemic? Well, obviously as a sports writer, it was an awkward few <laughs> few months there i mean we were doing i was doing trivia questions we were doing historical pieces we were doing oh i mean whatever lists oh, yeah. of things um so obviously it's good to have it back but you know to me the most interesting thing frankly about the last year and a half or one interesting thing about the last year and a half is that you know for a long time the the priority was on television so much that me and others would joke about how someday it's just going to be the arena is going to be a TV studio and who cares if there's a crowd because the crowd is just superfluous and they're just like background noise. And, mm. and, and then when we actually got to experience that world, yeah. we saw how bad it was. Yeah. So, I mean, that's actually the most interesting thing to me is that I think I undervalued the importance of fans to the, yeah. whether you're watching a person or on television, the importance of the fans being there and also the, the, the effect on the athletes They they were all just, it was terrible. And you could see the ratings for like the NBA finals, you know, tanked last year and uh, it was just not okay. So um, that, that was an important lesson I think for everyone is the fan, how important a part of this, the fans are beyond just, you know, yeah, spending their money and buying some beers. It changed us psychologically, I think, because I did a survey where my friend sent me 10 events of the sporting world. Five had no crowd, five had a crowd, and I was asked to rank the intensity and the moment. And 
It was right down the line. The top right. five were the ones with the crowd. The top five weren't. And I saw the results after, and I was like, wow, subconsciously, you don't even realize how important that crowd is. And just looking at that amazing Islanders playoff run, when the Islanders went to the Final Four in the bubble, and then they went to the Final Four at Nassau Coliseum, I think most fans have better memories of their Final Four run at the Nassau Coliseum. Yeah, I was thinking when they were in the, first, when they were in the bubble, we were, I was thinking... I mean, of course, they're going to be happy if they win the Stanley Cup, but but it, it's so not the same. Yeah, that it would have been a not that it would have been unfortunate for them to win the Cup. Fans would have still been happy, but it would have been unfortunate for that to be their only Cup of you know this era. It certainly would have. And you personally, to end our conversation here, when sports disappeared and then returned. As a journalist, you do something that a lot of people want to do. You do something that many people love. Did it make you thankful for your job when you saw sports go away and come back? I mean, yes, but I, I, I mean, I already was. I, I guess I didn't need that to realize how, you know, how grateful I, I am to have this kind of weird job where I make much less money than most of my friends, but they're all jealous of my job. Um, so, so yes. Um, uh, yeah, I guess it makes you appreciate it more just because you're so relieved to have it back. Um, but I appreciated it anyway. And I do think, though, that, yeah, that whole experience kind of re reminded um, sports fans of, you know, how important it was to them. I mean, after, you know, you could do without it for a couple of weeks. You just go about your life. It's, you know, but after a few months, you're like, yeah, this is not okay. So it's, uh, yeah, I think it made everybody appreciate sports more and not just sports, but I guess all the other things that people didn't get to do for those few months and the importance of just seeing other people and actually, you know, interacting, you know, beyond sports. It reminded everybody how important that is. So as the Islanders open up UBS Arena and New York sports continues to have many storylines for everyone to cover, what are some of your personal goals for both yourself and at Newsday in the future? Well, I'm, you know, I can see retirement on the horizon, so I'm just trying to do a good <laughs> job and get there alive and employed. But I do, I, I mean, my, you know, so I, I'm already thinking of like Newsday after after Neil. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it's well positioned to be an important part of Long Island yeah. life for decades, I hope. Um, even though, you know, at some point we'll transition away from print to all digital, I assume. I don't know when that's going to happen, but th that doesn't change the mission. It's still covering the community. And we cover Long Island in general and Long Island sports better than anybody by far. And hopefully that will continue and people will support that uh, mission by subscribing to the print or and or digital project uh, products so that they can actually employ journalists. <laughs> That's a big thing nowadays. People don't seem to understand that, but I'm glad that you said it. So, Neil, thank you so, 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 so much for your time today. It was great to speak with you, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.